Welcome to Buzz Off with Lawyer Liz on America's Web Radio. I'm your host, Lawyer Liz, and while I am an attorney, the Buzz Off show is not legal advice. Instead, it's a weekly look at the buzz surrounding drones, autonomous vehicles, the Internet of Things, and all of the technology in between. Catch us each Wednesday from 2 to 3 in the afternoon on americaswebradio.com or the Lawyer Liz podcast on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, any of your favorite streaming services. And thank you to the America's Web Radio Station, to the listeners, and especially all of my guests over the past year, because that's right, the Buzz Off show has reached its first anniversary of looking and discussing all of the gadgets, gizmos, privacy, policy, and everything in between that's been going on with drones, Internet of Things, and autonomous vehicles. So we'll start today's show with a look back retrospective at some of the bus, must, and, well, quite frankly, things that are still up in the air, and also highlight some of the things to come, some of the projects or gadgets, gizmos to keep an eye on. And once we've done that, we'll invite Ellie LaRocca-Pitts to the show. Ellie is a rising college freshman, but for the past four years has been a member in the last year was captain of the Grady High School Robotics Team G3, which has not only competed themselves in ground and aerial uh, robotics and drone competitions, but they have started and grown for the past three years a drone design, build, and fly competition for middle school students. So we're going to talk with Ellie and highlight some of the good things that have come out of their Drones for Good competition and where she's headed next. But afterwards, we will speak with Bo Woods, the Deputy Director of the Cyber Statecraft Initiative with the Atlantic Council. And Bo is also with I Am the Cavalry, where he is a recovering technologist working on policy. So after we've been highlighting for the past year some of the the good and the bad of technology and where it's going, it comes down to the regulations and whether the laws, which they haven't kept up, where do we go from here? And if we're going to regulate this area, bridging that gap between technology and policy speak, and that's something Bo has spent the last few years working on with the Cavalry and with the Atlantic Council. So we'll get insights from Bo on what is ahead in or what's 
upcoming in the technology policy arena and also some of the things that listeners who are interested in this area can do to get involved. So without further ado, though, let's t- let's embark on our retrospective and looking at some of the issues we've talked about because it has been a fascinating year with the SpaceX, their Dragon capsule had its second successful visit to the International Space Station to autonomous vehicles where Uber began testing their autonomous uh, driver services. Well, Lyft is jumping into the game as well. They've announced that they're going to begin testing their autonomous ride-sharing services in Boston. So, Still determined whether that's going to end up being a must or a bust, but it's coming either way, and we'll keep an eye on it. But when you start looking at the autonomous vehicles on the ground, you can't forget the autonomous vehicles that will be coming to us by air. And thank you to the guests who join us on prior shows to discuss what's coming with use of drones in rescue services, first responder, as well as some of the regulations with the FAA rolling out their what some would call commercial drone operations, but really drone operation rules that deal with everything but hobbyists, so everything but the recreational flyers. Well, that's in part because the FAA, under its the FAA Reauthorization and Modernization Act of 2012, Congress prohibited the FAA from passing any new rules or regulations that deal with hobbyist flights. So, Well, a court has recently decided that the drone registration requirement that the FAA enacted, they announced at the end of 2015, but really rolled out in 2016, well, under those rules, that all drone operators whose drone aircraft weigh greater than 0.55 pounds, so if it weighs more than two sticks of butter, up to 55 pounds, then the operator, the owner, is required to register with the FAA. Provide them a name, an address, an email address, pay a $5 fee, and you would receive a number, a registration number that would then need to be affixed to your drone each of your drone aircraft. So mistakenly frequently referred to as the drone registration list, it's actually the drone owners. Well, one of the hobbyists, Mr. Taylor, objected to that, said, well, I'm a hobbyist and this is a new rule. You were prohibited FAA from doing so under the uh, Modernization Act of 2012. So no, shouldn't have to do this. Well, a court agreed. And while the FAA had argued that they've had the authority to require aircraft registration because NTSB has confirmed that drones are aircraft, so if they've had the ability for the past 100 years to require it, that requiring registration now is not anything new. It's just 
utilizing a tool they've had in their arsenal, so to speak, for the past year or for past hundred years. The court said no. If you haven't done it in the past hundred years, then doing so now is indeed a new rule, and you're prohibited. So no go. Whether that so what has what is currently a bust for the FAA, expect it to continue either being battled in the courts or through other regulatory measures, but it's not officially a complete bust yet because there's still lots of time left to figure out how to address it. Well, in looking at the regulation and uh, of drones for for both operations as well as attempted regulations for safety doesn't really look at the privacy aspects and data privacy and what our connected devices are doing has been yet another aspect that we have discussed on the Buzz Off show over the past year. And one of the things we have highlighted are how Alexa and Echo and Google Home have really, they'll rat you out, not only to your guests who enter the house saying, hey, Alexa, what was my last internet search? How many times have I searched for this? Well, law enforcement has paid attention, and one of our prior both busts and must was the husband who was convicted for his wife's murder because, quite frankly, they were able, law enforcement was able to look at what her, what her which of her devices connected to the home network, which of the devices were pinging off nearby cell towers, and unfortunately that shot through the husband's alibi, pun intended, and placed them both in the house at the same time. Well, Apple, in its first new product announced in two years, in the past two years, has decided to jump in on the Alexa and echo the home market with their HomePod that will bring Siri into your house. So now you have one more way for Siri can not only tell you where to find the dead bodies, but Siri can tell law enforcement that you indeed did look for the dead body or look where to bury the dead bodies. Because the Supreme Court has decided to jump in to the recent privacy debates, building on what was a pa- in 2012, the decis- determination that law enforcement needed a search warrant to uh, install a GPS tracking device on a car. Well, we can skip ahead to 2017, where we've already installed our own GPS tracking devices. No need for a separate one on the car because we're carrying around our Fitbits, our Apple Watches, our iPhones, our Android phones, our internet connected devices. In fact, our cars are even uh, Wi-Fi hotspots tracking our location and our information at all times. Well, Law enforcement has also jumped in and started asking for cell phone data 
And in fact, a location data, in fact, certain providers receive thousands of requests almost weekly, monthly. Well, the Supreme Court has agreed to hear a case where a gentleman was convicted for armed robberies across several states and law enforcement was able to ping his location or place him in the vicinity of the uh, scenes of the crime using his cell phone data. So the Supreme Court will be taking up an issue we have discussed previously in that is a search warrant required to find that information or is it something that law enforcement can request without meeting that initial Fourth Amendment protection and getting our location data? So it's a pending, it is a must-watch case and could be a bust for either privacy or law enforcement, depending on how the Supreme Court rules. But you can... No, either way that the Buzz Off Show will invite some of our prior legal guests back to discuss the issue once it's been decided. Well, one of the other things that we have looked at through the Buzz Off Show has also been technology and TVs, movies, video games, and as more and more uh, TV shows and video games reach into that area, we will, of course, bring back Rob Graham, our senior political and entertainment correspondent. But unfortunately for Rob, we ran out of time this week in our retrospective. But join us after the commercial break as we kick off our discussion with Ellie and Drones for Good. But you're listening to Buzz Off with Lawyer Liz on America's Web Radio. 45 years of experience is behind the most trusted name in auto transportation. Passport Transport, the first and finest today. That's why Passport Transport is the preferred auto transport for major auto manufacturers, concours, museums, tours, and collectors, and should be your choice from across the state to across the country. When you have the need, go to PassportTransport.com and enjoy the peace of mind referenced experience will give you. Passport Transport. This is AmericasWebRadio.com, the best in chat radio designed just for you. And welcome back to Buzz Off with Lawyer Liz. I'm your host, Lawyer Liz. And as we're getting into the heart of the show today, it you know, we need to add a little bit of levity and talk about some of the awesome things that are coming out of the a particular high school in Atlanta, Georgia, but is part of the greater push to bring hands-on robotics, drone, the STEM, not just read about it, hear about it, but do it, make it, build it. So I've invited Ellie LaRocca-Pitts, who is the outgoing uh, or former team captain of the Grady Robotics team, and not only had Ellie worked on and has the Grady team worked on the first competitions and other drone and robotics competitions, but I'll brag on them shortly. Uh, they've also started a middle school drone competition themselves. So with that, uh, Ellie, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. And uh, so, Ellie, uh, tell me about 
how you got started in this. I mean, the Grady's team is no, y'all are known as a pretty impressive robotics team. What drew you to get started with it? Well, um, when I first walked into Grady for our eighth, eighth grade orientation day, um, the robotics team had a show during the, um, like the presentation that they were giving about all the clubs and stuff. And so they brought out their Frisbee robot and I saw what looked like a a piece of metal shoot a Frisbee. And I thought, Hey, that's really cool. I kind of want to learn how to do that. So I signed up and went through the whole application process and tryout process and got on the team. And from then on, I've been hooked. Well, congratulations on that. Cause yeah, I imagine when one team, one club gets to highlight a frisbee throwing robots, it kind of puts some of the uh, other teams to shame or clubs to shame of how do you compete with that? Well, I guess we, whenever we do presentations, we just, we bring out all the cool stuff. So. Like all the Ab- eye-catching things. Absolutely. And now, I mean, four years on the team, you were team captain. And how many how many other participants were there this year? Uh, there were 60 other students on the team this year. Ah, fantastic. And now, how did y'all do? Uh, I understand you had your first uh, uh, competition in a, a drone build and design. How did that go? That went really well. Um, we've, we started our drone team a couple years ago and we just started out with the, the whole middle school competition setting. But this year our head mentor, Mr. Shambliss, wanted to get the actual people on the team involved in something that was different than what we'd created. So we basically, we all just signed up. We went through a whole, um, testing process and we got like identification through the website. And then we got our kit of parts and we started building. And my job was I was in charge of the presentation team. So I just kind of went and I helped get everyone together. And we organized the presentation, what we were going to say to the judges. And when I was on the field during actual competing, we um, I was a safety person. And this year we actually, our first year competing, we placed second um, in the Georgia qualifier for the UAS for STEM, I believe, yeah. And we play second, so we get to go to nationals in August. Well, congratulations. And I know that AMA must be very uh, proud of what y'all accomplished. I mean, they, they host the UAS for STEM, and it it really, that's great that you were able to bring in both the design, the safety, the flight, but also the presentation skills. It sounds like you've developed a broad range of you know tools in your adulting kit so to speak you know stuff that will serve you well going forward yeah i was um actually this year was the first year that i really got involved in presenting there's two aspects of like our robotics team there's um the non-engineering aspect and the engineering aspect so the people who design and build and program are on the engineering side and the non-engineering side is all the people that do our fundraising and social media and stuff like that. So I got involved more with them being the team captain, and they asked me to be part of our chairman's presentation team. So I went through this whole process of getting trained by our mentor to present on behalf of our team. 
So I guess Mr. Shambles was like, you have experience. You should help our drone team. And I was like, all right, cool. So Absolutely. Well, well done. And you highlighted really how uh, an event, and that's how I got to know the G3, the Grady Robotics team, was the Drones for Good. Uh, tell us a little bit about what that is. I mean, it's middle school students competition run by high school students, but share a little bit about that with us. Uh, Drones for Good was started three years ago when um, two or three students got involved with a separate uh, project and they sent a video and they went got flown out to Oregon by Intel to compete and they took home the People's Choice Award in second place in the flying competition. So then they came back and they were like, we want to start our own competition with middle schoolers. So DFG was created, and what it is is we basically create our own game. We create all of the field obstacles and all of the, you know, the whole game rules, and we provide each team with a kit of parts, and we have teacher training classes in the fall to help educate them on how to build drones so that they can then in turn educate their students. And then we host, like, troubleshooting sessions and flight checks for kids in the spring so that when they're actually going through the build process, they can troubleshoot and they can know what's right and what's wrong, and they can be ready for competition. And then on competition day, they come to our school, and we act as referees and organizers, and they just basically fly and compete with their drone. And there's a whole presentation aspect to it where they have to research how drones can benefit their community. They present that to judges, and there's two different types of big awards that they can win. So... Yeah. Well, and just so that it, to drive this point home even further, this is a compet a design, build, and fly drone competition where middle school teams are competing against each other, but it's run entirely by the Grady high school team. I mean, so high school students taking the initiative. I mean, and as a two-time judge, and hopefully they will continue inviting me back, I'm a little bit biased because having seen it, y'all have an impressive, impressive competition that you guys came up with on your own. Yeah. How, How do you pick, I mean, for the both the presentation side obviously the students the teams are sharing about how their project will benefit the community and kind of the aerodynamics and the flight uh, the design aspects but for the actual flying and competition it's they're trying to zigzag their aircraft through moving hoops or, you know, at land or pop balloons. How do y'all come up with the you know, challenges, the game aspect of it. Well, we kind of we kind of get together as a group and really think about how, like, the drones work. And then we figure, you know, hula hoops are a nice obstacle because, you know, it's hard to, like, fly one through there. So we figured it would be challenging. So there's always something with hula hoops, like a tunnel or the moving pendulum, like you said. And then we have things like landing challenges because we realize, like, building our own drones and flying them Sometimes landing in the space that you want to can be a particularly challenging thing to do. So we had them, we set up little pillars, and we had them, like, hop on on the little pillars and land where they wanted to land to get points. But mainly we just kind of prototype. 
different types of obstacles and we see what happens, see what works. And if we can do it, then they can do it. But if we can't do it, they're like, oh, this is too hard. So, yeah. Well, and uh, do y'all use it too? I mean, these teams are coming from, especially this year, how many teams did y'all have competing? Um, this year we had 37 teams, something like that. Uh, the first year we had five teams and then we had 20 teams. Now we have 37. So it's, it's been growing a lot. But this year, yeah, we had 37 teams. And they're from all over the state of Georgia. Yes. We reach out mainly through um, FLL. But yeah, they're all from around Georgia. And that was what was so impressive to me. Now, are y'all recruiting during the competition going, ooh, we need to, you know, this is an Atlanta area student. We need them on our team. Are y'all taking notes going, wow, see how they did that? We need to, you know, pick up those skills or borrow the, that that approach. Yeah, we always, we're always really surprised at what they bring to the competition. And we always look at are the feeder schools we have is Inman Middle School. And we've noticed that because of the the fact that people on the Inman Middle School team went on to become on our high school, like into the Great Robotics program, we've had we have one of the most talented group of freshmen that we've ever had this year because they've had that drones experience, and we just hope that the people out of our district can move on to their high schools and have the same kind of easy transition. Absolutely. Now, in addition to organizing, coming up with these games, it's funded in large part by donations how do y'all how did y'all go and identify the funding sources to get started well we have a um a parent booster team and there's a person there that is in charge of running all of our grants and they found out about the motorola futures foundation and i guess they just they kind of do research on grants in the area and they thought that wow this would be something that we could definitely achieve and get so we applied for it our first year, and we got um, ten thousand from them, and they were confident enough in us this year to double it to twenty thousand. So it, it really just depends on on the grant and the people. Well, where can uh, listeners find out more information about both the Grady Robotics team as well as the Drones for Good? We have um, a website. Um, I can't really remember the the specific link right now, but it, there's also a DFG subset page where they can learn about that there too. Fantastic! And y'all are also on Facebook as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, if people look up Grady Robotics or G3 Robotics, they'll be able to find it. And I'll I'll also put some links up on social media. Now, where else have you? So you've you've done this. You started off as a freshman. You're you're the outgoing former team captain. So what's next? I mean, are are you already signed up to work for NASA and some of the others? Or I wish I uh, I'm going to uh, Mercy University to study mechanical engineering. And there I hope to mentor another robotics team, RoboBib, and uh, help them through the process. So it's definitely helped me and the way that my career path is shaping out. So I hope maybe one day for NASA, but right now it's just, you know, learning. Well, and what are some of the, did you develop, uh, do you prefer the ground robots or, because I mean, y'all do so in addition to the drones for goods, you have the aerial aspect, but y'all have the ground and y'all got to do the smashing and stuff like that. Do you have a preferred uh, vehicle or mechanism, uh, be it land or air? 
I really love working with the um, the land robots. We um, I was our drivetrain specialist this year, so I built the whole like bottom part of our robot that moved around the field, and I really loved being hands-on and working with like the chain and the, the gearboxes and all the little tiny finicky things. So, yeah. Well, there you go. Well, best of luck, Ellie. Thank you for joining and sharing with us a little bit that you've been listening to Buzz Off with Lawyer Liz on America's Web Radio. Thank you. Affordable health insurance was the promise of Obamacare, but for many, the government mandate caused more problems than it solved. This is Dr. Elena George from Medicine on Call, and I want to tell you about a truly affordable alternative allowed under Obamacare, Liberty HealthShare. Liberty HealthShare bypasses doctor and hospital panels, giving you the freedom to choose, and with a maximum of $500 out-of-pocket per person and 100% coverage up to $1 million per year per occurrence, you can rest assured knowing you and your family are protected. Coverage starts as low as $107 per month and also includes dental, vision, pharmacy, and holistic care. Liberty HealthShare puts you back in charge of your health. Visit them online at libertyoncall.org. Again, for a true affordable alternative to Obamacare, visit libertyoncall.org or call toll-free 1-800-714-6993 today. This is AmericasWebRadio.com, the best in chat radio designed just for you. And welcome back to Buzz Off with Lawyer Liz on America's Web Radio. I'm your host, Lawyer Liz, and we're going to provide a little bit of a solution now that we have been chatting earlier in the show with you know, some of the folks from Drones for Good. We're going to transition a little bit into, okay, put the fun stuff aside and what do we do now when it comes to all of our devices and all of the as we've been talking about the world is burning it's luckily there are some folks who are trying to find solutions from a policy and just the public engagement side so welcoming to the show Bo Woods who is the deputy director cyber statecraft initiative at the Atlantic Council and also just a very engaged in the community from the information security side, but welcome, Bo, to the show. Thanks, Liz. I'm really happy to be here. Oh, well, and in some of the prior shows, we've been talking about or discussing everything from WannaCry with you know, all the technology side, which is where you got your background, correct? Yeah, I started out in um, uh, on more of the technology side. I worked for um, a small healthcare provider, um, and, uh, was doing just it work and then grew that into to doing more and more security, joined a, a consulting firm, um, and built my, my background and my capabilities much more on the tech side. I've always kind of been a geek. Um, and then over the last few years, uh, have become much more engaged with uh, more of the, the different types of solutions that we might have to some of the cybersecurity issues through um, uh, more of a public policy lens. So uh, working and engaging um, with 
folks like the Food and Drug Administration, with uh, congressional staffers, with some of the other administration officials. Uh, and um, a lot of that was through uh, a, a group called I Am the Cavalry. Uh, and the idea there was uh, that as security researchers, we looked around and we saw the uh, what we felt like was an Im- impending uh, issue coming up on the horizon that we weren't really seeing addressed in most um, of the common places that you would see these societal level issues addressed. Uh, and that is um, we saw that our dependence on connected technology was growing much faster than our ability to secure it. So where uh, over the next five years, approximately we'll spend a trillion dollars globally on products, um, software and, and services and people to try and solve cybersecurity issues, uh, we'll still have a very, very high failure rate. Um, a lot of corporate breaches, a lot of data loss, a lot of things like that. So um, as we're trying as hard as we can to protect uh, our enterprises, uh, we've gone and connected everything to the Internet with the Internet of Things. And so you have now wearable devices, you have implantable medical devices, you have cars and trains and planes uh, that are um, computer-controlled and Internet-connected. Uh, and as we see the problems that we have in the enterprise sector and the corporate sector starting to manifest uh, in the real world with car hacking, with medical device hacking, as you mentioned, WannaCry taking down hospitals and healthcare in the UK, um, we really had hoped that there was someone, you know, uh, at the end of the movie, John Wayne's going to come in and, and make sure that we don't accidentally overconnect ourselves, overexpose ourselves, and build in too many software dependencies that have vulnerabilities. Uh, and what we found is that there really wasn't anybody who was looking into that um, the way that it merited. Um, so we said the cavalry isn't coming. And if the cavalry isn't coming, then uh, that's both scary and it's also empowering because it means that we have to pick up the, uh, the flag and, and go in and take care of some of these as a technically literate group of people uh, in the information security, security research communities, uh, we have the power, we have the capability, we just have to muster the will to go in and do it. So we said, um, if the cavalry isn't coming, then I am the cavalry. Uh, I'm going to be one of the uh, part of the, the positive, proactive uh, people who's going to go out and lead on solving some of these problems. Um so that started several years ago, uh, and that's uh, IamTheCavalry.org. That's cavalry, which is horses, rather than calvary, which is a different thing. Um, and, well, uh, and absolutely. It's, it's bringing together the folks who have seen firsthand and worked on the technology that were, everyone's rushing to implement, recognizing that, hey, we helped build this, we can tell you where some of the issues lie that aren't getting solved. Right. That's exactly right. And there's some, um, there's some solutions uh, or some problems that can't be solved with technology alone. Uh, and as I've done more and more with the policy community, I'm realizing that there are some policy solutions um, that uh, seem like they might make sense on paper from a certain perspective. Uh, but when you actually go to apply them uh, in practice in a technical capacity, uh, you very, very quickly find that they don't 
don't work well, don't work as intended, generate unintended side effects or consequences and that type of thing. Um, so as somebody with a, a technical background uh, entering this public's policy sphere, um, it's, uh, it's, it's eye-opening to see uh, some of the things that um, just I'm able to, to help contribute to uh, and help be a, a positive part of that. Um, and a lot of that, uh, I think, comes down to uh, it's kind of like speaking a language natively versus picking it up when you're 30 or 40. Uh, if you speak it natively, then you automatically understand all the associations, all of the cultural context, all of the clever turns of phrase, etc. Um, but if you have to learn a language later on in life, you're not going to have as high a fidelity. And in a lot of cases, uh, the policymakers are having to learn this technical stuff later on, and they're not able to pick it up um, as uh, as naturally, as natively, uh, and with as good a working vocabulary uh, as they would if they had started younger. And, you know, by virtue of the same fact, I'm not able to understand the policy stuff quite as well as if I had studied it all my career. So it really so, takes, um, you know, each side coming together uh, and working collaboratively to solve some of these challenges. So how do you all start bridging? I mean, first of all, how do you start identifying that knowledge gap that you realize uh, Perhaps the technologists are speaking about something. Is it that the the eyes of the audience or the you know the policymakers start glazing over, or they start talking about that uh, you know a tweeter verse? I mean, what are some of the cues that you've seen where you? the signals that, all right, now we need, to, we need to dial it down just a little bit? Yeah, that's a great question. And it's sometimes hard to find where there's a breakdown. Um, but uh, as you start talking through some of these issues at the right level, um, using the right type of vocabulary that they're more accustomed to, uh, you start to find... Um, or, or kind of peel back places where either the vocabulary has a clash. Um, and there's a couple of examples like uh, CVE, uh, the acronym, which in the uh, information security community means common vulnerabilities and, and new exposures, I believe. Um, but it's a taxonomy of known software defects that's maintained by the U.S. government um, and by MITRE Corp. Uh, which is a federally funded research and development center. Um, and in the public policy world, a lot of times CVE means countering violent extremism. So it's how we go after jihadis online, how we prevent them from um, getting their message out. Uh, and so it, it can be as simple as uh, you hear somebody using a word in a way that seems uh, unfamiliar or uh, seems different than your understanding. And so uh, it's just asking that question, you know, what, you know, you say CVE, I think I know what that means, but just can you walk me through it? Um, or teasing some of those things out uh, in some quarters. Defense um, refers to military rather than, you know, how do I keep my network safe? Uh, so those are some of the indicators uh, that we've got. And one of the projects that we're, we're trying to do at the Atlantic Council is to build something like a cyber literacy project or like a Rosetta Stone so that uh, each group of people can figure out um, what are the commonly 
use terms that are maybe used differently in one uh, among one group than a different one? Um, how can we translate back and forth? How can we get to understand some of these concepts better? So maybe you you know you click on a concept and you get a really short explainer video uh, and try and lay out some of those primitives so that each group of people, each stakeholder who has to have a seat at the table uh, can come in with a more firm, solid footing. So they're not floundering for the first few years of their career uh, in someone else's land. You know, we like to say that we're ambassadors from the tech community into the public policy community. Uh, and that takes a lot of uh, translation. It also takes a lot of empathy and understanding. And we're trying to build those bridges. Well, and, not that anyone cheers on necessarily uh, when there is a breach or a vulnerability that becomes exposed or, you know, a network shuts down. But how do y'all identify and use those instances to help bridge that gap of, okay, when this happened to you for this, this is what that means? Right. Um, yeah, it's, it, you know, with something like, Wanna Cry, which shut down healthcare in the UK at something like 45 or 65 hospitals. Um, it impacted oil and gas. It impacted police stations across the world. Uh, you know, Russia and in China, I remember, um, hearing stories about those shut down. Uh, and it really gives you a flashpoint to be able to hang some of these things on. Uh, and, uh, one of the things that, that I've observed is when we have these types of incidents, um, some people latch onto the wrong part of them or they have a different model for what they mean. Uh, you know, one of the, um, I studied psychology at Georgia tech. So I got a weird technical understanding, uh, or human understanding of the technical side. Uh, but it was a, a mishmash of the two. Um, and in, in psychology, we study mental models and how people think about the world, how people understand and can translate. Uh, and, when you have an event like this, one of the uh, foundational things that needs to be done is for everyone to start understanding it in the same way. You know, what actually happened? What are the implications? How do we uh, take some action that will be, you know, the right one to address the root causes rather than just the first one that comes to mind that addresses some of the apparent causes or even fails to address those? Uh, so that's kind of a, a taking off point to get started um, so that we can uh, then uh, frame the rest of the discussion and continue to follow that through until it's uh, ultimately, hopefully, successful. Well, in one of the places I first started seeing a lot of the or key places y'all were able to identify was on the the medical side and the car hacking. And so, certainly after the break, talk a, or share with us a little bit about how y'all were able to identify these common rallying points and really build and grow the awareness for the organization. Are those fair, uh, hopefully, good examples, but certainly where you started to gain more traction, so to speak, with the message. But you're listening to Buzz Off with Lawyer Liz on America's Web Radio. Join us right back after this break.
Do you have problems with sinus pain and pressure? Do other people smell things that you don't? Have you lost the joy in eating because food just doesn't taste like it used to? Is your nose always stuffy no matter what you do? Maybe you have sinus or nasal polyps. These are generally benign growths that occur from chronic sinus infection or allergies that are either undertreated or have not been treated at all. At Peachtree ENT Center, we specialize in minimally invasive balloon dilation sinus surgery and correction of a deviated nasal septum and turbinate reduction surgery that can be done in the office. We use a state-of-the-art equipment so that you can see the problem. You will be a partner in your care, and together we will decide the course of treatment. We believe in old-fashioned medicine, where we take the time to fix the problem, not just medicate the symptoms. You can rest assured that all options will be offered before surgery is recommended, because Peachtree ENT Center is where patient care counts. This is America's AmericasWebRadio.com, the best in chat radio designed just for you. Welcome back. You've been listening to Buzz Off with Lawyer Liz on America's Web Radio. I'm your host, Lawyer Liz, chatting now with Bo Woods. And Bo, before the break, you were giving a little bit of background on how you, through the Atlantic Council and the Cavalry, how y'all have been trying to bridge that gap between the technology and the policy world. And... teased a little bit some of the kind of flashpoints that really lit the light bulbs for a lot of folks on how serious this issue. What what was your kind of key moment or what is your go-to of, hey, when you see this, this is what we're talking about? Yeah, I think... Um one of the uh, one of the real insights that I've had over the past few years is that uh, until people are ready to listen, they can't really hear you. Uh, so if you uh, come in and just speak about what you think is the important thing, then it might go completely past them. Um, but uh, you know, making a conscious decision to start by understanding their framing, their frame of reference, their perspective. Uh, building a little empathy for what their situation is, uh, that really gets you, uh, gets, gets you that understanding that's critical to being able to make an impact with them. So, you know, if, um, if you're speaking to somebody, uh, just on the street, um, and as I do sometimes, uh, with, you know, somebody on the bus or whatever, then, uh, you might talk to them and they'll probably have a car, um, and just talking about hacking. Uh, it's really kind of divorced from their everyday, uh, day-to-day life. But if you talk to somebody about, um, you know, if there's software in it, then it's hackable. And now Mercedes has a hundred million lines of software code in all of their cars, then they immediately start to get it. And it can really resonate with someone. It, it, uh, puts them in the right frame of mind to be able to actually understand and follow along with, uh, with what you have to say. Um, but it's that uh, the critical insight there is you start with understanding their perspective, what's going to motivate them, what's going to turn them on uh, to your ideas, uh, and then, um, you know, kind of walk that path with them rather than just coming in cold and, and launching into, a, you know, assaulting them with your words. Or uh, I think um, one of my mentors used to say that uh, so much of teaching is lobbing answers at at questions that weren't asked. And so avoiding that, I think, is uh, one of the keys. 
Well, too, it, it fascinates me to see which, which topics resonate with people that you tell them you, your, you know, uh, insulin pump can be hacked and people say, oh, okay. Uh, your car can be hacked. Oh, okay. But then, you know, reminding them that even the coffee maker, the baby monitor, you know, all of those become, you know, be it the child's toy, that all of those, as you point out, that with the software become subject to, you know, vulnerabilities or if it doesn't work as it needs to, those were issues that could have been addressed at different parts that, you're right. I being able to identify what's going to be that uh, that aha moment for someone, it's fascinating. Yeah, it is. And you know, um, one of our uh, one of the security researchers who's done the most in in healthcare and medical device um, wasn't looking at medical devices until his uh, insulin pump um, stopped working the way it should have or the way he expected it to. Uh, and it triggered that question in his mind. You know, I wonder if this is hackable. And now this is somebody who has lived around technology just about all of his life and has uh, been bending technology to his own will for about that long. And the question never really occurred to him until he had an attention-grabbing moment. Um, so there's a, a, a bad line but sometimes it's true. It's uh, never let a crisis go to waste. Um, and to some degree, you know, finding that connection point with people allows you to have those types of conversations, whether it's, um, you know, hospitals want to cry, whether it's uh, a highly publicized hack of a, a car. Um, but it gives you that reason why people are concerned or paying attention. Uh, and when you get that moment, uh, you have to be able to take advantage of it, which is one of the things that most people um, typically haven't done by the time uh, the chance comes. Uh, in particular, the you know, security research community uh, has long wanted a, a place at some of these tables, but they haven't found the right opportunity. And now that we have the right opportunity, um, most of us, including myself, are ill-prepared for what we found. Um but we've got to keep trying. We've got to keep building our um, our capabilities to explain things simply. Uh, we've got to keep uh, building out ideas that will function uh, across multiple domains or that um, can scale the way that we need them to. Uh, we've got to keep looking for uh, solutions that are translatable to other people so that they can take and implement them. Um, you know, there's a lot of work. There's a lot of work to do. Uh, and, uh, and now that we're in an op, you know, in a time when we have many, many opportunities to raise those types of discussions, either in our corporate environment or in a public policy setting or in a, a social climate, um, uh, we need to be <laughs> as prepared as we can to be able to, to talk smartly about them. So what sort of tools have y'all put together or trainings have you provided for the information security, the technology folks, so that when they find themselves with these opportunities that they can pull, you know, another tool from their arsenal, but this time to impact policy positively? Yeah, uh, so we've... 
uh, as through I am the cavalry several years ago, we put out a couple of documents. One is called the five star automotive cyber safety framework. Uh, and another one that's a, a companion uh, that works well in healthcare is the Hippocratic Oath for Connected Medical Devices. Um, and those are two technically literate uh, policy or executive level documents that can be used to help frame um, some of the uh, better ways and better methods uh, or some of the capabilities that give you a ready posture towards um, some type of a cybersecurity failure uh, in cars and medical devices or in healthcare. So that's a couple of documents. Uh, we've also done a lot of um, media trainings for some of the security research community. We've uh, talked a lot with them uh, to try and help build their muscles to be able to, to engage in, in those communities a little bit differently. Uh, we've caused some um, collective, collaborative, safe spaces to happen. Uh, and one of those is actually coming up at B-Sides Las Vegas uh, in uh, May 25th, or uh, sorry, July 25th and 26th, uh, which is a, a security researcher community conference. Uh, we have a, a track called the I Am the Cavalry Track out there. And um, we're trying to cause interactions and engagement between the security research community and the public policy community. So having some um, current and former people in government uh, come out and sit down, you know, around the same set of tables and chairs as some of the security researchers in their landscape. So now it doesn't necessarily have to be the security researchers go to D.C. and engage. Um, we're kind of flipping the script and trying to, to do a lot of these types of engagements uh, across those traditional gulfs or uh, gaps. Well, and not only is it packaging the right information or putting the information into bite-sized pieces, it, it y'all have really reached out and brought in both the high-level, you know, decision makers, but also recognizing that it's not necessarily the senator or the agency head; it's their staff and kind of building that ground up conversation that needs to happen rather than just uh, the member of Congress uh, or, you know, the commissioner who it's the first 30 seconds, you know, three sentences out of your mouth, that's all they're going to retain. Yeah, you're absolutely right. Um, Working with uh, some of the other people in that ecosystem, you mentioned uh, staffers and staffers are, uh, I have yet to encounter one that wasn't um, impassioned and dedicated to making the world a better place. Uh, and a lot of the staffers have more of a understanding or familiarity with the technology so they can more quickly grasp some of the concepts than somebody who doesn't have that familiarity. Uh, and some of them even gasp, have computer science degrees. <laughs> and, I was say, as a uh, former staffer myself, yes, uh, <laughs> we we are slightly, you know, uh, take, have some understanding. I mean, that, those are the areas of expertise, but it's that reaching out and not in uh, kind of leveraging those conversations that seem to be where you're getting the most traction. Yeah, um, you know, we're uh, we've been. Um, very independent, very impartial 
you know, we're not trying to sell something, which a lot of people who go and, and talk to, uh, talk in the halls of power are trying to do. Um, we're, uh, we have credibility, technical literacy, uh, and earnestness. Uh, and I think all of those things work in our favor, um, uh, because we can go and engage with someone and not just stick to talking points, um, but actually answer the questions that they're asking, uh, inform them, give them insight, uh, and ultimately, um, you know, make them better at their job uh, because they're more informed rather than try and supplant their decisions with our own, uh, which is often seen as very presumptuous. Well, and you mentioned some of the resources that y'all have put together and the upcoming tracks, not only at the B-Sides Las Vegas uh, conferences, but at some of the other conferences that will be happening that same week. So where can people find links or copies of that information? Sure. Uh, right now for the I Am the Cavalry information, you can go to IamTheCavalry.org. Uh, and you can get some of, the, uh, check out some of what we've written, some of what we've put together, some of the resources and links. Um, you can also go to bsideslv.org. That's B-S-I-D-E-S-L-V.org. It's a great community-run conference out in Vegas at the end of July. Highly recommended. Um, and for some of the other work that, that, uh, we've been doing, Atlantic Council is a global nonprofit, nonpartisan think tank. Um, in Washington, D.C., and that's AtlanticCouncil.org. Well, and two, what if someone wants to engage or has an idea, wants to engage either with the Atlantic Council or bring you out to talk to them? How does how do, how do those conversations get started? Yeah, it can start as simply as an email or, um, you know, a contact through a trusted colleague. So if you refer someone over to me, then we can pick up that dialogue. Um, we really want to get out and be engaged and involved in uh, the various different stakeholder communities that exist. Um, and hopefully we can be safer sooner together. Well, thank you so much. Thanks, Bo, to joining the show today. Thank you to America's Web Radio. You've been listening to Buzz Off with Lawyer Liz. And as the host, thanks. Find us on americaswebradio.com or download the podcast on iTunes, Lawyer Liz. But until then, we will catch you next week.